Grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Also, John, the 13th chapter. Just put your finger there to mark John 13. We're going to start with Matthew chapter 5, then we're going to flip over to John 13. We'll also go to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll close with Psalm 25. Four scriptures today. If you're watching online, I want to take a moment to welcome you. I hope that you've enjoyed the service up to this point. May uh, the presence of God be with you, and may his blessings be upon you. I want to encourage you to get still and quiet and get ready to receive today. I have a very important word to share with you that God has uh, placed in my heart that I've been praying and studying and and, uh, seeking the face of God about. And um, it's a word of healing and of unity, and I want to speak it to you today. So I hope you'll stay with us, stay locked in. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Jesus speaking. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the salt of the earth. But if you lose your flavor, if we don't make a difference, if we don't make an impact, then why be salt at all? Flip over to John chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus, again speaking to his disciples, said, By this, some of the world will know that you are my disciples. No? By this, all will know. That you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Today I want to speak to you as a shepherd. I I want to speak to you as your pastor today. I want to talk to you about one of the most important issues facing Americans over the next week. I want to talk to you about our presidential election. At the conclusion of the service today, some of you may love me, some of you may hate me. Some of you may think I said too much, and some may think I said too little. But you should know this about me, and if you've been here for a while, you probably do, that I spend very little time promoting political agendas. Why? Because that is not my role. My role is not to stand in the pulpit and speak my opinions about certain political issues as if they are the Word of God, when they are not the Word of God. I have opinions, but that's not the business that I'm in. I'm not here to talk to you about the national debt or whether or not we should drill for oil in Alaska, who we should tax or who we should not tax. I'm not here to talk about foreign policy or Medicare or Social Security, states' rights versus federal, federal rights. These are not my business. The only thing that is my business to stand in this pulpit as a man of God and as the shepherd of this house to stand before you and talk about issues that are clearly in the Word of God and nothing more. That's my business. I'm a Bible preacher and I'm a Bible teacher at the end of the day. Uh, I know that pastors all over this nation choose to use their, their pulpit as a place to promote their politics. For me, that is not what God has called me to do. He's called me to be a Bible preacher, to reach the lost, to be a, an instrument by which people's lives can be touched by the power and the presence of God. He's called me to preach the word with clarity and with understanding and with boldness. 
That's my business. My role is to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, and to invite the Prince of Peace into this house to keep the unity and to teach the Bible in its entirety. You see, if you take a look across this room today and across our congregation of believers, you will find an incredibly diverse group of people. You will find gender diversity. You will find uh, age diversity, ethnic diversity, uh, economic diversity, cultural diversity, and yes, political diversity. I am convinced that this is a mandate from God for this house. I am of the persuasion that a church should reflect its community, and I believe we do that. You see, Southeast Texas doesn't look and act and think all alike, but we are all different, and so is Triumph. We are unified together in Christ. Why? Because we were all saved by the same blood. It wasn't A positive or B negative, but rather it was the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So my purpose today is to bring peace and healing and possibly some understanding. I want to challenge us as as a group of believers today. My daughter this afternoon will play in, um, I believe we're, we're one game away from the championship game for this entire region for eight and under softball. I'm really proud of our team. Uh, they, they play at 11.45 in about 20 minutes. They're going to be playing. And uh, they, promised, they made me promise that I would give them a shout-out today. They're watching online. So this is their shout-out right now. We just need to have a word of prayer for them in the name of Jesus. <laughs> But in that game, in that championship game, someone will win and someone will lose. And we'll have to deal with it. The team that we will most likely play is the only team that's beaten us all season. They've beaten us three times. It's getting a little annoying. Someone will win. Someone will lose. And you know, on the Wednesday following our election, many in this house will win. And many in this house will lose. But at the end of the day, we still have to be in peace and unity as a body of believers. That is our call. We cannot allow an election to divide and destroy what it has taken 29 years to build. Jesus said to Peter, Peter, when you're shepherding my people, when you're leading my church, if you love me, tend my sheep. Then he said again, if you love me, Peter. And Jesus said, uh, Peter said, yes, I love you. And And he said, feed my lambs. Then Jesus said a third time, Peter, do you love me? And and Peter said, of course, you know, I love you, Jesus. And he said, feed my sheep. It's clearly identifying your role is to be a shepherd. That's what I want to do today. My heart is not to bring division or offense, but to bring peace and unity in this house. Can we pray today? Father, I'm asking you to be with us today. My words would not be words of division, but they would come straight from the Holy Spirit of words of peace, as words of unity, as words of understanding, and words of love and forgiveness. Bring us closer together, God, understanding that we need you We need you in our nation. We need you in our culture. We need you in our hearts and our churches. We need you today, Lord God. Draw us together. In your name we pray. Amen.
my grandfather was riding in a car here a couple of years ago, and he was uh, heading either to Vicksburg, Mississippi, or uh, may, have been, may have been going to Vicksburg, and then on his way, they have a timeshare up in Branson. He goes like 20 times a year. He feels you can't be saved if you don't go to Branson. Um, I haven't been, so I, I don't know what that means for me. But So he's riding along with uh, some of his family there in the car, and they hear of uh, very, very different political persuasions. My grandfather's not a talker, if you know him very well. He's happy just to sit and ride. He doesn't want to have, like, big conversations. Uh, As a matter of fact, you go to his house, and he'll sit there and watch the TV, and everybody else will be having a party, and he'll be sitting as close as he can to the TV so he can hear it. (laughs) They're riding along, and they're having this deal, and and, uh, the the person he was riding with is is a family member, and, I mean, he is just going on and on and on and on and on and on and on about these political things, and it's, I mean, he is intense and intense, and he's going, and finally, he gets to the end, and he says, and if you don't believe that, you are stupid. My grandfather had enough at that point, and he said, well, slap a sign on my head and write stupid across it, because I'm just dumb. <laughs> the point is this, that kind of hurt a little bit. Was that loud? Was- Do I have a red mark right there? (laughs) The point is this. Christians all over this nation are divided politically on who to vote for and what to do. We see the thing differently, and yet we're still Christians. The two men in that car love God with all of their heart and have served God faithfully for years. So my question to you today or, or, or my, is not to tell you you should vote for this person or, who to, or vote for that person, but I want to talk to you about a couple of things. How you decide who you vote for, how do you act and treat people who believe differently than you, and can you engage in a conversation with people who believe differently with you? Uh, can you just engage in a conversation with them without it being bitter and, and, and anger leading the way? Here's my answer today that I want to encourage you with. Five words, and you can write these down, and uh, you can use them or not, but this is my encouragement to you. The first one is think. The second one is pray. The third one is love. The fourth one is vote. And the last one is serve. I'm going to say them again. Think, pray, love, vote, and serve. Let's start with the first one, think. My daughter came home from school the other day, and she said, Mom and Dad, we're having a, a mock election to, to elect the president, uh, to vote for the president at school, to see who would win in our school or whatever, and I, I don't know who to vote for. Tell me who to vote for. Did you ever do that when you were in school? I did that. We did this every time there was a presidential election, no matter what school I was in. They would say, okay, we're going to have a vote to see, you know, how we compare to the nation or whatever and see what happens. And, you know, every time I would go home, dad, tell me who to vote for. And he would say, you need to vote for this person or you need to vote for that person. Um, you, you need to do this or, or you need to do that. Well, that's good when you're a kid, when you're a child. But my encouragement to you is to think for yourselves. It's not to allow some person just to walk in and tell you, this is the way you need to vote. But my encouragement to you is to use the brain that God gave you. Some of you are saying, well, pastor, I'm not sure he gave me one. Yes, he did. Utilize it, exercise it, grow it, and use it. Think for yourselves. I recognize that the environment that we were raised in, our parents and the way they believe, has a tremendous impact on the, the way that we think. That's okay. But make sure 
your thinking for yourselves. A couple things I, I, I want you to remember. Four things. Number one, don't believe everything you read or hear. You need to know this. Politicians, almost every one of them, are masters of man manipulating perception and words. You can say they lie, whatever. I'm saying they twist and they turn and they use things against you, right? So don't believe everything you hear, but know the facts, know the truth. Um, number two, I want to encourage you to put things back into context. Put things into context. You know what else our media does? They take three words out of a speech, totally change the context, and use it against an opponent. Put things back into context. Number three, research for yourselves, both sides of the issue. You need to know how you feel. And you can't know how you feel unless you only read one point of view. Study both sides of the issue. Number four, look at the platforms of both the candidates and the parties. I believe in values voting. And I'm going to tell you what I mean by that. Uh, let's say that you lay out the issues, and, and your issues may be different, but I've just listed a few that uh, are, are issues in, in this uh, candidacy. Uh, you may say the economy is an issue, taxation, uh, things like this, uh, immigration may be an issue, uh, foreign policy and war, uh, moral issues, uh, abortion, same-sex marriage, uh, health care and social security, uh, and race. Race is an issue in this, in this election. So you, you lay all these things out. Whatever you call, define as values. Uh, I, I have a friend who's a, an attorney who has made a living uh, with, with big tort cases, trying big tort cases. So tort reform is very important to him. It is a value of his. So lay the issues out before you and then determine how your value, what your values are and line them up according. What is my priority? I value this over that. I value that over this, whatever they are. Line them up. Line up your values. Not my values, not your neighbor's values, your values. Everybody say, my values. You line them up on how you believe. Then you go out and you find a candidate who most lines up with those values for what you said is important. Find that candidate. And that is value voting. Now, here's the deal. You've got to research. You've got to work at it. You've got to think about it. I told you about my friend who's a, 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 an attorney. Listen, if tort reform is the most important thing on his list because it is his livelihood, if he votes for a candidate that is trying to, to get rid of all tort cases, then he didn't vote his values, right? Because his value was, was he, he needs these cases. He needs to be able to put 200 people in a room and, and, and go sue, sue the uh, cigarette companies or whatever he might be doing, asbestos people. That's, that's the way he makes his living. So he has to vote according to his values. Um, my values start with, they're not all of them, but they start with the sanctity of marriage and the sanctity of life. And what frustrates me about where we are today is that neither candidate is talking about them. This concerns me. I don't blame either candidate. I, I've watched most of the debates, watched the news every day. Uh, the, the vice presidents barely talked about abortion, and at the end of it, I don't know what they said. If, I'm a smart person. I'm not sure what they said personally. Uh, because it's not an issue. I don't blame any candidate for not making an issue because they are only addressing Issues that Americans are making issues. I'll say that again. If it's not an issue for us personally, they're not going to talk about it. So it's not a political problem. 
It's a cultural and a spiritual problem. It's really quiet in here right now. I believe that many of the problems that we face in America are not political. They are spiritual. I believe that the solution is not an election. The solution is the church to be the church. I believe that the answer is prayer. I believe that the people of God... I believe that the people of God should be the most powerful cultural force in this nation. Our candidates would respond to us if we made it an issue. They would talk about it if we made it an issue. But we're not. And it starts with you and I. The Bible says, if my people who are called by my name, not if the candidates would pray, but if my people would humble themselves and pray. He's talking to the church. But I wonder, I go back to what Jesus said in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And I ask the question, have we lost our saltiness? We have huge churches, but our lives being changed. Our communities being impacted with the message of the kingdom. Is anyone praying? Is anyone fasting? Is anyone getting the attention of heaven on behalf of our nation? Is, is there enough people? Is there a remnant of people of God who will lift up their voice to heaven? That leads me to the second part of our process, which is simply to pray. Pray for God to lead you in who to vote for. We, we research, we think, we study, and then we pray. We, we, we pray before we vote, and then we'll pray again after we vote. But we've got to pray. Allow God to be a part of the process because you are spiritual people. You are men and women of God. Pray. Allow Him to lead you. He'll speak to you. He will give you an assurance of what you need to do. And you go do that. But you pray and get an answer for yourself. Allow God to lead you. And I will do the same. We must pray. Pray that God would touch us. Pray that God would, would lead our nation back to Him. Pray for God's will and not mine to be done. God has to be a part of our process. I am convinced that we must pray for our nation. I have uh, been reading uh, the October edition of Charisma magazine. I actually brought one for each family here today. They'll have them at the end of the service. As you leave, you can pick them up. If you happen to, to miss one, they'll have some available on the Connection Center. This magazine has, was uh, totally devoted to prayers that shake America. Prayers that shake America. Um, Jonathan Kahn, who wrote The Harbingers, um, there's an article in here uh, by Jensen Franklin, there's an article in here by Cindy Trim, and it's talking to us about how to pray, praying for our nation, praying for uh, our, our leaders, praying for our politicians. This is something that I believe we should all should do. I believe that this is uh, um, fundamental to the lifestyle of every believer, to be a person of prayer. To pray for our nation. I believe it's biblical. It's a biblical mandate to lift up those in prayer. And so I got a magazine for, for each of you to take home and read. One of the great things in here, it's got 40 days of prayer to change America. Um, and so sometimes people ask me, well, Pastor Randall, I pray, but I don't know what to pray beyond this or that. Well, this gives you some ideas of something to pray for every day. You don't have to pray for hours, uh, but I believe consistency is more important than one long uh, prayer time. 
Be consistent in your prayer. So it gives you 40 things to pray for 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 40 days. Pray for the church. Pray for immigration. Pray for government. Pray for um, unity. Pray for terrorism, uh, national security, justice, abortion. Pray for the family. Pray for poverty. Pray for peace. Pray for generosity, social justice. Pray for Israel. Um, uh, Pray for all these things. So it, it gives you things to pray for. There's something in here you don't agree with. You don't have to pray for that. But I want you to pray for something. I want you to pray. And I want us as a church to stand together and do our job and pray. Can you do that with me? How many of you will get one of these magazines and read it and pray? Great, great articles uh, in here. Uh, uh, Dr. Cindy Trim wrote an article in here, Seven Prayer Tactics, Biblical Guidelines for Effectively Engaging Heaven. Uh, things that will make a difference for you. Jensen Franklin wrote an article about fasting, fasting that moves God. It will make a difference for you. Pick one of these up, if you would, on your way out. Uh, if you're watching at home and you don't have one, you can call and order one. You can call if we have any left over. We'll be happy to put one in the mail for you. Just call the church office, send us an email, something. We'll try to get you one. Uh, but I want to get this in your hand, and I want to encourage us to pray. That's what we're to do as a body of believers. So we think, and then we pray. But then more than that, it it has to be something else. Jesus said, all would know that we are his disciples because we love one another. The third thing I want to challenge you to do is to love. Jesus didn't mention anything about voting the same. He just laid out the way we should treat each other, and that's with love. Uh, He said, though you may disagree, love. I want this house to model discipleship in in this region. I want people to look at this house and be able to say, wow, there are people of all diversities from all different walks of life, uh, and yet they love one another. When the rest of the world is being divided and torn up, they love one another. I believe that that will say to this region that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. I don't believe it because I made it up. I believe it because that's what Jesus himself said. Let's go over here and and read from Ephesians chapter 4. A couple of verses from the Apostle Paul. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. He said, I, I am challenging you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were uh, called. With lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Notice he says here, listen, if there weren't disagreements that he was writing to and that come up in the church, we wouldn't have to bear with long-suffering. We wouldn't have to bear with one another, right? When everything everything is going good, I don't have to bear with you. I'm happy to be with you. But when we get into a disagreement, now I have to bear with you. You ever heard somebody say, bear with me for just a moment? Because they're doing something that they know is causing you to be put out a little bit. So they say, bear with me for a moment, right? Uh, So here's Paul, and here's what he's saying. Paul is saying, I don't want you... uh, if disagreements to arise, to to act like this. But when they come, when disagreements come, when you don't see things eye to eye, 
I want you to bear with one another. I want you to have long suffering. And, and I want you to act a certain way. Here's how he said, with lowliness. What is lowliness? Not a word we use very often anymore. It's often had a negative connotation. But in the New Testament, it is not a negative connotation at all. Rather, it means to be happy and content when, things are, when you are not in control or steering things your way. Lowliness, gentleness, to be gentle, to be long-suffering. Political disagreements will happen, but we can be lowly and gentle and long-suffering, bearing with one another. Paul didn't say, everybody stop disagreeing. Everybody stop. We're all going to think and act and, and, and be just alike. That's not what he said. He said, no, 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 no. When they come, act right to one another. He gave us instructions on what to do when it happens. Verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he said, I want you to strive. I want you to endeavor. I want you to make it uh, your purpose to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, notice, know what he, notice what he says uh, here. The unity of the Spirit. Keep the unity of the Spirit. He didn't say create the unity. It's not what he said. The Spirit the, the God creates the unity. It is up to us to keep it. That's all we have to do. We don't have to create unity. We just keep the unity. When, when the Holy Spirit comes in and unity, unity comes in, there's unity in this house. God said, uh, Paul says, you don't have, to, don't have to work and labor. Just keep it. You don't have to create it. Just keep the unity of the Spirit. Keep it. Keep it in the way that you act. Keep it in the way that you talk. Keep it in the bond of peace. I love this because it says that as a body of believers, as the kingdom of God, we have a bond, a contract, or a covenant together. And that is this. Not that we always agree, but that we are always in peace. That's our challenge. And how many of you know that is a challenge? If you've ever been really angry with someone, it is a challenge to keep your peace, to hold your peace. You can say, like Medea said, I got my peace. <laughs> but Paul challenges us to keep the bond of peace. We're in a contract with one another. Skip down to verse 15. He says, but speaking the truth in love. So when you speak, when you talk, speak the truth in love. What is the tone of our conversation? It is one of love. It is one of understanding. It is one of seeking to bring peace together. To keep the unity. Love and peace. It's our mandate. It's our bond. It's healthy to discuss the issues with people who see it differently than you. It's healthy, but keep the unity and keep the peace. Verse 29. Are you okay this morning? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's start with verse 29. He said, let no corrupt word. The Greek word there. The Greek means to, is referring to slanderous and contemptuous talk. Slanderous and contemptuous talk. 
It's okay to disagree. It's not okay to be slanderous, to have corrupt words. Then he said, impart grace. When you're talking with someone, impart grace to them. You don't know where they come from. You don't know what what they've been through. You don't know what they've walked through and, and why they believe the way they do. So impart grace. Impart grace. How many of you like it when people give you grace? I'm sure you do. We like to have grace. Make sure that you give it. Make sure that you sow grace. And then he said in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 31, let all bitterness. Aristotle defined bitterness as a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. You could be reconciled. You could get over it. But we refuse reconciliation. That's bitterness. I I don't want to be that way. I don't want this to be a house that is full of bitterness. But a house that is full of peace and love and unity. Wrath. Wrath is outburst in the moment. You, you, we, we get angry. We get upset. And, and, we, and we react. That's wrath. He said, he said uh, let it all go. Be put away. And then he said, anger. This is a settled disposition. This is when we're just angry. Why are you angry? I don't know. I'm just angry all the time. Let it go. Clamor is a loud, confused noise and shouting. Let it all be passed away, put away. And then malice, which is ill will. And in place of those, here's what Paul says. Verse 32. Be kind to one another. Be kind. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. We can disagree. But in that disagreement, be kind. Tenderhearted. Forgiving. Just as Christ forgave us. That's the word of God. And it's instructions on how we, as a family of believers, must act and treat each other. We have love. We have peace. We have lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiveness. We, we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We go and we vote and we do what we need to do. But when we come back, the last thing that we do is that we serve. We serve. I love America, and I want great things for her. I love being American. I I want uh, this nation to grow and to prosper as much as I believe everyone else does in this nation. I I love this country. And I want you to know, with all the sincerity in my heart, that I will honor and serve my president no matter the outcome. Not because I like them or agree with everything that they say, but because it is a biblical mandate to honor those in authority. And when I stand and pray for our president, both now and for the rest of my life, it will not be just with my mind, just a cerebral thing, but it will be with all of my heart that God will bless our president how he will bless those in authority over us, that he will bless our nation, uh, that he will touch us. You see, I believe we need God to touch Washington, D.C. I do. I believe that nothing uh, would do our nation more good, quite possibly, than a revival to break out in, in Washington among our politicians. Of every brand, just a revival for people's hearts to be turned back to him. Uh, I believe that we need an infusion of God-inspired ideas to get America back to work. I believe that we need both parties to come together, to work together, to get some movement. But before all of that, we need God in America again. 
Let's go to the book of Psalms, chapter 25. I'm going to read to you from the NIV version, three verses. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. Shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are God my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Ladies and gentlemen, my hope is in the Lord. It's not in a political party. It's not in a president that will change in either four or eight years one way or the other. It is in the Lord at all times. So I'm looking to him and asking him to do his will in this nation. I am looking to him and asking him to bless our country, to bless our leaders, to speak to them, to give them God ideas. I want to challenge you today to be the church. I want to challenge you today to allow your hope to be in him. To let's be people who speak healing and peace and, and, and forgiveness and unity. I want to pray today for that. I want to pray for healing. I want to pray for peace. If I have offended anyone in the room today or with any of my words, I want to ask you to forgive me. That was not my heart. But my heart and my purpose today was inspire you to be a people of love, kindness, forgiveness, understanding, hope, working together to believe that God is going to touch our nation. There are families in this church that need jobs right now. We need God to come through for them. I talked to a friend this week who has to leave his home because it's been foreclosed on. He needs God right now. Right now. If you've been offended by someone in this house that believes differently than you do, let me ask on their behalf, please forgive me. Please forgive them. And let's extend grace. Let us commit to unity in this house. Others can do what they, as they will. Other pastors can say what they feel the Lord is leading them, but this is what I feel in this house in this season. Peace and unity and love. Would you stand with me today? I want to ask our pastors to come and join me on the stage. Ronnie, can you help me? Uh, thank you. And I want to ask you to do something with me. This, I, I rarely do this because I know it makes people uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable personally. But I, I want to do something today, and I want to tell you why. In a moment, I'm going to ask us to join hands with the people next to us. I'm asking you to do that, not to make you uncomfortable, but because I want, us, want it to be a sign that we are coming together in unity and in peace, that we will be the salt, and we will speak with love and understanding. So 
I'm going to ask us to do that. I've asked my pastors to join me today because I want to pray, and I want you to join me in praying for our nation, praying for this house, praying that the Lord's will be done. Whatever others may do, they can do. But in this house, we will be a people of peace and of unity. Somebody help me. Dear Heavenly Father, as the pastor and shepherd of this house, as the leaders of this congregation, we humbly come to you, Father. And we ask you to give us peace and unity, to give us understanding, forgiveness. Father, let us speak with kindness and love and joy and and, uh, with gentleness and lowliness to be long-suffering, O God, to keep the bond of peace beside us. Because, Lord, whatever happens may happen, but at the end of the day, we will still be the kingdom of God. We will still be the house of God. We will still be a believer, a group of believers standing together to make an impact on this region, on this nation, and upon the world, Lord God. So we stand together to you, and we declare that nothing will divide us, nothing will come between us. But, Father, we are looking to you as our hope and as our Savior. You have united us, and we will endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We join together in that. In Jesus' name, Father, let your will be done in this nation. Not my will, but your will. We need, we need movement in this nation. We need jobs in this nation. Uh, we need you back in this nation, O oh God. We pray to you today. Be with us, O oh God. Lead us, guide us. Touch our president, touch our congressmen and our senators and our governors and all the way through, God, lead us and guide us. Be with them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, guys.